Welcome spooks and spirits, ghouls and ghosts. Take a seat around the campfire. But beware, this podcast is haunted. Yes? I just, I'm so sick of being sick. I've been sick since November. Everything that comes out of me is green. Mm. Like just all day long. And then my nose, like by the end of the day, is just filled with like these hard shards of like booger juice. We're recording, aren't we? I yes. fucking hate you. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to leave this in. It's fine. Yeah, because I'm doing the edit, so fuck you. I can booger juice. Booger juice. <laughs> shards. Dude, they hurt. The booger crystals. That's right. The rare, the rare booger crystals. <laughs> The rarest jewels of them all. Mm. Except for not at all rare. Everybody gets the booger crystals. My favorite kind of boogers are the ones that are like icebergs. Like Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. You know what? Actually, I take that back. Not icebergs. Uh, The word I want is glaciers, where they're just like wide and deep. Like you finally like blow it out and it like was wrapped around your brain stem. Like that's how deep it was. Uh Uh-huh. Sorry. Am I grossing you out? I just had a moment. I'm so sorry. So like, okay, but you you've had that moment where like, yeah, it's like you way, blow your nose and you can like feel like, it dislodge uh, above your eyebrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the shit. <sighs> How are you? I'm great. Do you? Should we? Do you want to talk about? Should we do this? I mean, only if you want to. <laughs> While we're here, I guess. Yeah, we're with a microphone on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we're talking about the Greek history and... Well, not just Greek. Myth. Yeah, right. Oh, you're talking about Greece. I am. Uh, so I guess we could wound it up, wind it up with classical. Yes. That kind of like going from myth to history, which they do. It's all the same thing, really. At that time. Yeah, you're, you're not wrong. At that time. Um, so yeah, we are talking about the classics today. And uh, I'm excited to tell you guys about... My favorite bummer. <laughs> You're so weird. I know. <laughs> but you still have to love me. Okay, I guess I can't. I mean, I also crave the darkness, but in just like a different way. Like yours yours is more about like, I want to cry and I'm like, I want to be scared shitless. <laughs> I want the, the adrenaline rush of this like is scary feeling stuff, like I'm going to die. And you're like, oh, those poor children. <laughs> And yeah. I'm like, fuck the children. <laughs> Don't say that. That's bad. That's bad. <laughs> oh, God. We just got on a fucking list. Anyway. All right. So we're going <laughs> to leave right there. Speaking of fucking yeah. children. <laughs> the Greeks. Let's talk about the Greeks. Fucking hell. All right. So actually, I do want to address this right at the top of the show. Yes. Uh, rape as a subject of plot in Greek traditional stories. Uh, my friends... If you or a loved one has been affected by sexual assault, as mm-hmm. my loved ones have been affected by sexual assault, and you don't feel like you're ready to listen to this episode where rape is treated in the Greek myths as just a fucking plot point, doesn't mm-hmm. even matter. Women, nobody hates women quite like the Greeks hate women. Yes. So, this is, yes. if you are affected by that, I would actually say skip this episode. Well, fast forward to my story. Oh, yeah. Okay. Just cut. If you hear me talking, keep going. I'm going to go first. Then you can just listen to me tell a tale of thousands of people dying. But it's fine. (laughs) I feel like you'll feel much better about it. You know what? Uh, We'll get there. We'll get there. (laughs) So my favorite myth today 
that I'm, I'm I get to talk about is the House of Atreus. The Cursed House of Atreus. I know nothing about this. I know. It's not a well-known myth. I'm also not a classics person. Nah, nah. Am I a classics person? I don't know. I am friends with a lot of classics okay. people. So like Katie from My Crime Time, Megan, mm. Brandon, mm-hmm. uh, all classics people. Okay. and uh, Good for them. I love them. <laughs> They're yeah. good quality people. Yeah, we love you guys. Uh, I think it's very important, the work that you're doing. I just need more things written down. Sure, I can appreciate how the classics would therefore not be for you. No. There's just not enough. Yeah. We'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. So the Cursed House of Atreus, this is the ultimate in family dysfunction. Mm. The Greeks had the idea of fate. You are fated to do something. Mm-hmm. They had three of them, right? Well, yes, there are the three fates. All of my knowledge of the ancient Greeks is based on Hercules. <laughs> um, if you enjoy uh, Greek stories as Broadway musicals, I also recommend checking out Hades Town. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Patrick Page. If you love a deep voice, oh. Patrick motherfucking Page. Okay. So the, the Cursed House of Atreus is a cursed house. Mm-hmm. As promised. Fascinating. And you would think that curse puts you in the control of fate. You are cursed. There's nothing you can do about it. But also... Does that put you in control? In the control of the fate. Oh, 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 oh. oh. Yeah. So you are out of control. Gotcha. But also, you're still taking action. Okay. That prolongs the curse. What? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so if you are fated, uh-huh. are you responsible for your actions or no? Oh. Oh. Well, um, some people would say no. Some people would. Would the Greeks? <laughs> no? Would they? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a classics person. That's fine. Explain it to me. Uh, I actually just finished up a lecture series through the great courses. Um, it was fantastic. Oh my god, it was so great. It was just a mm-hmm. look at classical mythology with. It's okay. Uh, we're they're, we're not sponsored by them. We right? Yeah. To, fuck them. We don't have to give them credit. That's right. Um, it's an audiobook. You can listen to it. It's great. Uh, but anyway, the point of talking about fate was: Are you responsible for it or not? And mm-hmm. the Greeks would tell you that you're still responsible, even if it's your fate. Okay. So in the myth of Odysseus, or the legend of Odysseus, building there. Sorry, I hit my glass, guys. You, Odysseus was told that he would kill his father and marry his mother. Mm-hmm. And so it would actually be pretty easy to not do those things. Yeah, one would think. Right? Like, I've gone 32 years on this planet without killing a single person. So far, yeah. Right, despite numerous amounts of provocation. <laughs> I also have never fucked my own mother. Yeah. So Well, in this case, it would be the electric complex, right? If we're speaking heteronormatively. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So um, if you just chose to never murder anybody, mm-hmm. and, you know, sometimes there's accidental death, but you can definitely choose not to ever have sex. You could. A lot of people do, and a lot of people break that promise. Right. I'm just saying... <laughs> You you can yeah. technically abstain. people have done it right. You can't trip and fall and fall into your mother's vagina. Yeah. So you are still responsible Not for your fate. Not purposely. Yeah. So the cursed house of Atreus. Oh, oh, so dysfunctional. Just, just, just uh-huh. generations of the worst fucking people. So this is a real family. This isn't some myth. So it's actually a really good question because the people who are involved eventually spawn the Trojan War. Oh, okay. Which was a real war. You yeah. Know, the Trojan War did did happen. It was a real thing. Mm-hmm. But it has become a thing of legend. There's a quote by Herodotus, who's like the father of history. Uh-huh. 
that we got printed on our history department t-shirts. It was basically like, if history doesn't happen the way you want it to, make it, make it happen the way you want it to. They also are involved in things like, you know, the birth of Helen or talking to Zeus. And like, those things mm. probably didn't happen, you know? Mm. So, but but mm-hmm. the Greeks also, you know, what is real and what is not real is a little less defined in yeah. Greek culture. Yeah, history writing was a little loosey-goosey back then. A little then. loosey-goosey, yeah. So this House of Atreus actually has, it, it started with a very famous myth, the myth of Tantalos. Do you know Tantalos? No. Tantalos tried to trick the gods into eating meat. Okay, yeah, so this sounds 100% real. Right, sure, exactly. Rather, the gods at one point in time could eat uh, other foods besides ambrosia, the food of the gods. Uh Uh-huh. But at some point along the line, that changes. (laughs) And so he comes, he invites this uh, number of gods to his dinner table where he serves his son Pelops in a stew. Now, the gods, he was trying to say... Wait, he serves his son... Pelops. In a stew. In a stew. If we're going to get hung up on names, Jeff... No, no, no. The Greek stories he are not for you. He serves his son in a stew. Yep. Why did he kill his son and feed him to the gods? Yes, that's that's my question. Because he's crazy, Jen. Okay. Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. <laughs> it's just going to get crazier from here. Okay. During this time, Demeter's daughter Persephone... Yes. Shout out to anybody who watches Lore Olympus... Or, I'm sorry, reads Lore Olympus. Mm. <laughs> I love that mm-hmm. comic. So Persephone is now in the underworld. And Demeter, she was recently kidnapped. Demeter is distracted and she doesn't know what she's doing. And while she's distracted, she does eat some of this stew. Casual. Casually. She eats Pelops' shoulder. Now, Zeus is omniscient, and he knows what Tantalos is doing. He's trying to trick the gods, and we can't have that. So Mm -mm. he brings Pelops back to life. Uh, Gross. Yeah. Hephaestus builds him a new shoulder. So they put him back together? They put him back together. Build him a new shoulder. Just thinking of, like... (laughs) <laughs> some eyeballs floating in soup and some they start blinking <laughs> right <laughs> so they they then take the father tantalos mm-hmm. and they torture him in tartarus tartarus which is hell so in tartarus he is buried up to his neck in mm-hmm. a river there is food dangling above his head mm-hmm. and clean water all around him every time he goes to dip his head to drink the water rushes away and it's a dry creek bed Every time he reaches up to take food off the tree, the food shrivels up and becomes maggoty. Mm. And so he's constantly hungry and thirsty, surrounded by all these things just out of reach that he can't have. That sucks. That it's sucks a really good torture. Yeah. So that's the story of Tantalos. Now, his son Pelops gets brought back from the dead and is now king. They, he Tantalos was king of Lydia. Now that role belongs to Pelops. So Pelops grows up and uh, he is going to try and find a wife across the sea. In Pisa, mm. there is a king uh, whose name is Anemaeus, and he's in love with his own daughter, mm-hmm. uh-huh, Hippodamia. Mm. Indeed. Hot. So trying to prevent himself from... I'm try, try, trying to prevent anybody from ever marrying her because he's so in love with his own daughter. Gross. Yeah. He poses her hand in marriage as an impossible task. Anybody who is to try and become her husband has to beat him in a chariot race. And he has uh, a set of horses that were sired by the wind. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So inevitably, he will do this race. The father comes up, kills the suitor, and his daughter is still under his control. Okay. Yeah. So Pelops decides that he's going to go for it. So he sails, and he brings with him his golden-winged chariot, drawn by tireless horses, a gift to him from Poseidon. 
Okay, so yeah, again, very legit and real. Super legit, super based in reality. <laughs> and he he goes to the chariot master of the, this king mm-hmm. and says, listen, if you take the... Uh, Axel. Mm, but it's not an axle. The linchpins, linchpins that hold the chariot and the axle and the wheels oh. all together. If you take those, I knew where this is going, and replace them with these wax ones that oh, I've made. Oh shit! <laughs> then you know you can have sex with hippodoma, hippodemia, hippo, hippodome. <laughs> That's yeah. With hippodemia on our first night together. Gross. Yeah, and it's just a fucking plot point. <laughs> Doesn't even matter. Gross. Yeah. So he does. He he goes and he takes the regular linchpins out, puts in wax uh-huh. linchpins, which of course heat up next to the axle, and it all falls apart. Yeah. And this evil king, Anadeus, nope. <laughs> I'm sorry, Greek names are hard. They are all the same. Anadeus. Sorry, that is... was, was that racist? <laughs> well, ancient Greece. No. Okay. So Anadeus is pulled from his chariot by these incredibly fast horses and drugged uh-huh. to his death. Uh-huh. But then Pelops renigs on the chariot master. Oh. And the chariot master is pissed as hell. Who Jerry, could have, Jerry. Who could have seen this coming? Exactly. So instead, uh, he comes to collect Hippodamia. Yeah. And Pelops throws him into the sea. No. Mm-hmm. On his way, crashing into the surf, he curses their house. Now that is one curse already from the gods. Oh. And then this guy, Myrtilus, has now cursed them a second time. Myrtilus? Yeah. Unless I'm saying it right. Wrong. No, no. I believe you. It just sounded like murder, and it made me... It's Myrtle, like creeping Myrtle. Sad. (laughs) Yeah. So Pelops is now king of Pisa, because he married this daughter. Because she's not going to inherit, certainly. (laughs) She's just a woman. That would be silly. That would be silly. So uh, they they go on and they have two children. They actually have multiple children, but the two that matter are Theseus and Aegisthus. Aegisthus. Greek names, man. Mm -hmm. Theseus is the father of Aegisthus. Atreus mm. is the father of Menelaus and Agamemnon. Now, if you're okay. familiar with the story of Troy... I've heard that name. Agamemnon and Menelaus are big factors. Okay. So, uh, let's go on. These boys... These boys. These big, beautiful boys. These giant, beautiful Greek boys. <laughs> there is a man who's king of Mycenae. His name is Aristheus. And when Heracles, or Hercules, as we would call him... Oh. Heracles is how they would have said it in the Greek. Hercules is how the Romans said it when they retold the story. Oh, Haven't you always wondered? Hercules. Hercules. Well, that's inaccurate then. Well, eh. Heracles doesn't work as well for songs. Heracles. Plus, it highlights the relationship between Hera and Hercules. <gasps> and in the real story... Hera and Hercules, yeah. like, the reason that Hercules is put through all of these 12 labors is because Hera hates him, because he's the child of Zeus and not her. But, okay. Yeah. Continue. You can't punish Zeus. He's Zeus. Yeah. You Obviously. Know? So so this, this king of Mycenae is killed by Hercules. So the oracle of Delphi tells them to make a son of Pelops their king. Mm-hmm. So that appeals to Theseus and Atreus. Yeah. So Big fans. They go and they consult an oracle as well. So the two boys have to kind of battle it out between themselves. And Atreus, who's older and more sensible, kind of more kingly, says, I should be king based on these virtues. Mm-hmm. And Theseus says, no, 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 no. Whoever can produce golden fleece, that's the person who should definitely be king. 
To which uh, Atreus says, yeah, 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 good, good plan, good plan, oh, good, plan yeah. good plan, good plan, good plan, good plan. Because he already had Golden Fleece. This is not the same Golden Fleece as Jason has to get on the Argo. Different what? Golden Fleece. Yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> listen, how we become king <laughs> is a many varied uh, path to kingdom. For example, I don't even know what I'm fucking asking about at this point. (laughs) Just what? It's it's very Greek. It's all all very Greek. Greek to you. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, these two boys are trying to decide who should be king. One says, well, it's me because I'm older and I'm sensible. And the other one says, no, it should be whoever can bring us a golden fleece, which the older brother has. And he's like, you're right. Good call. I assume the younger brother doesn't know this. Ooh, good assumption, but wrong. What? <laughs> because the younger brother is nailing the brother's wife. Plot be- twist. Because the <laughs> so many subtext stories in Greek mythology are that women cannot be trusted. This <laughs> and is this true. is one of them. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, but I feel like also a major theme is that Zeus cannot be trusted. Like Zeus is fucking everybody. It's true. <laughs> It's true. So I feel like it does a but little bit. But that actually go. makes him more powerful because he's dominating people. Fucking of course it does. Yep. So <laughs> uh, Atreus, who currently has this golden fleece, uh-huh. is being betrayed by his wife, Europe. Uh, I can't say. It looks like Europe, and I always want to say Europe. Uh-huh. But Arope. Arope is nailing her brother-in-law. Right. And she gives him this golden fleece, which he procures. Oh. And he's like, ha, 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 I am the king. And the other guy's like, but I have, oh, shit, where is it? And he works out that who could have given this to his brother? His wife, Natch. Who Natch should now have to? Die. Exactly. <laughs> so he was... Uh, Once you get going, you can kind of guess where things go. <laughs> makes sense. So he was really certain, though, that Zeus wanted him to be king. Oracle prophecy all came from Zeus mm. or if it didn't come from Zeus it came from Apollo who was always saying I'm speaking for Zeus right so Atreus wants to be king uh, Zeus wants him to be king he declares that as proof Zeus would make the sun rise in the west and set in the east which is a pretty big fucking sign yeah uh, the next day this and actually did it? happened did it allegedly did it you know <laughs> so Atreus takes the throne and he banishes his brother who's now going to curse his, his the brother his brother and his house. Again. Yeah. Third level of cursing. Oh, okay. Things are about to get real fucking dark. <laughs> so That was a good line read. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Atreus discovers that his wife has been nailing his brother. Yeah. That that shall not pass. So he plans a revenge upon his brother. It doesn't matter that the Wait. wife cheated. Not, that, okay. Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, because women were Wild animals, basically. Yeah. Uh, They were... A man who took a wife didn't, you know, have a companion. He tamed a wild animal. Right. It's like, you don't blame a dog for doing that. Exactly. This is so gross. I know. The Greeks are very upsetting. Yeah. So uh, he calls his brother to him and he says, we're going to bury the hatchet. We're going to bury the hatchet. No more problems between us. It was Uh this dumbass woman. Uh Uh-huh. Right. Uh, And so his, his brother returns with his three young sons who... Atreus instantly kills and puts in a stew. Again? Ser- yeah. The classics never die, Jen. Again? Yes. They okay. serve them to his father. And then he asks his, his brother, oh, uh, can you tell what delicious meat you're eating? And then he brings out their hands and heads and shows him. Ugh. Yeah. Creepy history. Gross. Yeah. Gross. This so, is what you came here for. That's, you know I love a story of children of cannibalism. 
You do. I do. And it's weird. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is who I am. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so he now offers a curse on his brother. Mm. So Atreus curses his brother, pays him back, kills his kids, makes him eat him, who now offers a curse on Atreus. Okay, so they're cursing each other? Yeah. Okay. Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. <laughs> Somebody's, he's gonna hit him with the chair. Not the chair. <laughs> oh, this actually really isn't funny. Like it's so dark, but also it's so it far removed. It happened so long ago, and possibly never and happened. Possibly, never. yeah. <laughs> so, so Thaestes is now cursing Atreus, and he goes to the Delphic Oracle and asks how to get revenge. And he was told that he must have a child by Pelopia, who. Who is this fucking lady? His own daughter. God damn it. Yeah. Incest. <sighs> it's so unsettling. And and um, as he's leaving Delphi that night, you know, slightly upset. Yeah. Oh, um, oh, oh, okay. He's upset. That's uh, not isn't. upset enough. Yeah. Uh, he sees by the light of a large sacrificial fire, a girl going into a stream. He falls upon her and rapes her. Mm. Little does he know. Is it? Of course it is. His daughter? Of course it's his own daughter. That's fucking gross. And he's in such a rush that he leaves his sword behind. Uh Now, swords back then were kind of like fingerprints. You knew whose sword was whose. Yeah. It wasn't like an AK-47 where it could be anybody's. (laughs) Not to get political. (laughs) He didn't know that it was Pelopia, and she did not know that it was him, but Mm -hmm. she did find the sword. Uh, Atreus finds her while searching for Theseus, and he takes her as his new wife, mm-hmm. replacing the unfaithful Arab. She then bore Theseus's son, but Atreus thought that the boy was his, so he's now raising his nephew son. Okay. I'm so fucking lost. Sorry. Um, okay. No, it's fine. I mean, okay. Yes. Uncle Mary's niece. Yes. Who was raped by her father. Yeah. They have a son. Uh-huh. Yeah. Father and daughter. Yeah. Uncle thinks it's yeah, yeah. his. Oh, it's very complicated. Gross. Yeah. So that son grows up. The boy is named Agisthus. Yeah. yeah, hard to say. Atreus, his son, is Agisthus. He also has two other sons, Agamemnon and Menelaus. Okay. Now, he goes to Delphi to see where his brother is, that piece of shit brother. And the brother happened to be at Delphi, trying mm-hmm. to find a way to get revenge on the other brother. Jesus. You know? Uh-huh. <laughs> After many years of searching for, the- for Thais- Thaestes, mm-hmm. Atreus sends his two grown sons, Agamemnon and Menelaus, mm-hmm. to Delphi to find out where, the- where Thaestes is. Thaestes happened to be there. See, and incidentally, seeking new advice on how to take revenge on Atreus since he couldn't find his daughter to have sex with her. Yeah. He doesn't know that he already did. So the two boys, Agamemnon and Menelaus, kidnap Thaestes and haul him back to uh, Mycenae. Now, Atreus had his other son, Aegisthus, behead Thaestes. But when Aegisthus pulled his sword, Thaestes recognized it was his sword. <sighs> The sword of the man who raped his mother yeah, mm-hmm. is his uncle father. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. 
Oh, are we going to do the moral at the end of the story, too, like no. Jerry does? There is no moral. <laughs> so Thaistes recognizes it as his sword. They summon Pelopia, the daughter. He mm. says, oh, shit, now I know what I did to her. And she knows what he did. So she takes that sword and she kills herself. Uh-huh. Aegisthus, now recognizing that Thaistes is his real dad, mm-hmm. takes the bloodied sword to Atreus, who he thought was his father, as evidence oh. that he had beheaded Thaistes. But he didn't. Oh, it's like a Snow White situation. It's a snow. He's Snow Whiting. Uh, Atreus is rejoicing. He's making sacrifices. He goes to the river to wash the blood of the sacrifices off his hands. Mm-hmm. And Odysseus stabs him in the back. Okay. Because no loyalty. He yeah. raised him. Yeah. Meanwhile, that leaves Thyestes open to take the fucking crown okay throne okay take the power so the, that's what the oracle said right yes okay and with him in power uh agamemnon and menelaus who are now grown-ass men are driven from their home and they go and take refuge in sparta with tyandrius the king there they raise an army and they prepare to drive thyestes from mycenae now does the name tyandrius mean anything to you no he has a very famous wife. Her name is Lita. Does that mean anything to you? More? Tell me. No, I don't. Nothing. <laughs> okay. So Lita of Lita and the Swan. Oh, yes. Yes. She, she now is I'm on board. molested as a plot point by Zeus. Yeah, there's a famous painting of that. There is. It's right here on my notes. Oh, I was thinking of a different one. I think oh. it's a Bougaro. A what? Bougaro. A what? A Bougaro. I've never heard that name before. Lita is the mother of Helen. Uh-huh. She is oh. molested by Zeus, raped by Zeus. Or... I was going to say molested is a delicate term, I think. Well, and, and also the question of her consent is uh, is a good one. That's you know, true. Like, if, <laughs> if Zeus appeared to you in all of his glory, king As of the gods. A swan. Or would you just say it was a swan? Oh. Kind of, you know? I mean, this is all mythology, right? <laughs> anyway. So uh, she has, she she actually lays eggs. <laughs> and she, within those eggs, uh, are semi-divine children, Polydeuces and Helen, uh, and Castor and Clytemnestra, mortal children. So the mortal children. Oh, that's a real bummer. Yeah. <laughs> So Polydeuces and Helen are, are incredibly beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then Clytemnestra and Castor. Very ordinary. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so eventually Helen mm-hmm. becomes the most beautiful woman in the world. And she launches, well, no, she doesn't. Her, a face that launched a thousand ships. And burnt the topless towers of Ilium. Yes. Oh. Shakespeare. Yes. Anyway, it's all wrapped up in the Trojan War. Mm-hmm. Now, what, where, when this happens, who's around watching this beautiful girl grow up into her maturity? Agamemnon and Menelaus. Right. Now, kings from all over yes. hear of her beauty. Yes. And they come and they're going to start vying for her hand. Mm. And uh, one of the first to come is Odysseus, who right. is quite clever. Okay. And he knows that. You know, with all of these very powerful men vying for this one ultimate prize, there is nothing to stop the losers from kidnapping Helen, killing her, raping her, taking her away. Mm-hmm. So Odysseus comes up with this great plan, and for the price of uh, her cousin, Helen's cousin Penelope, okay, she 
sorry, he uh, mm-hmm. comes up with this plan that everybody has to sign an oath. They have to give an oath that whoever is not chosen to be Helen's betrothed will swear to honor and protect the marriage thereof. Now, in the end, she's married to Menelaus, the mm-hmm. younger brother. Mm-hmm. She gets stolen, of course, by Paris of Troy, a prince yeah. of Troy. Yeah, yeah. And it is Agamemnon, the older brother's responsibility, not only as a suitor of Helen, but also as a... Someone who took the oath? Someone who took the oath and as a family member, because he mm. goes on to marry Clytemnestra. Mm-hmm. So together, he and Clytemnestra have a daughter. And they're trying to leave mm-hmm. this port. So Artemis is furious about what these Greeks are about to do to the people of Troy. Yeah. They, I mean, that's pretty bad. Ten years' war takes its toll on people. And so she's constantly sending wind to push them back into the harbor, and they can't cross the sea mm. to get to modern-day Turkey. And to break that wind, so to speak. (laughs) Agamemnon of the Cursed House of Atreus has to give another curse. He kills and sacrifices his daughter, Ephigia. Of course. So that the boats can sail out of harbor and he can defend his brother's wife. Uh And it eventually leads to 10 years of war, another 20 years of sailing for Odysseus and, and numbers of others. All because... This family is cursed, but also they can't act like they've got a fucking piece of sense in their head. I'm going to say this, and I'll say it many times. The men should not be in charge. <laughs> so we were actually talking about that at work today. Uh-huh. Um, and I I've, I've, I don't know if I've ever said this on the show before, but I have a long-standing plan for how to deal with men. Right. Yes, I've heard this plan. We but clear out the island sure. of Madagascar. Yes. A beautiful wonderful tropical uh, paradise. Mm -hmm. We fill it up with football and wings and leave them. Yes. (laughs) All the porn in the world. All the Anything they could ever want. You want crab rangoon? I got you crab rangoon. Here you go. We drop it there. Women go on and make peace around the world. Yes. No man is allowed off the island unless a woman of good standing is willing to vouch for him. Yeah. So. No, I agree. It's a really good plan, right? I think it's foolproof. (laughs) Just lock them the fuck up because they clearly can't handle this. Yeah. You've had your chance, and here we are. You failed miserably, yeah. so now it's our turn. <laughs> All right. So, obviously, while that story is dark and semi-historical, it's not true and it's not haunted. So, I do have a haunted story to share with you. Ooh. Okay. It's real short. Uh, yeah. But I, mean... I didn't want to leave everybody hanging just because I'm obsessed with shit that's creepy. Yeah. <laughs> so, Greek history is not just things that happened in the remote past. <laughs> this is actually the Develis Cave on Pendle Mountain. I love a cave. Do you love a cave? Mm-hmm. Do caves scare you? Underwater caves Yes. are my worst nightmare. You should skip the mo- the show Lock and Key. Okay. That is Good to know. A, f- a theme. Uh, underwater caves, very spooky. Mm-hmm. Um, caves in general, just so dark. Yeah. Also, have you ever seen the movie The Descent? Nope. Make time for it. It is one of the genuinely horrifying films that I've seen in my life. Okay. Like, Hills Have Eyes. Scary. The Hills okay. Have Eyes really fucked me up. Oh, we should watch that together. You've never seen it? Oh. <gasps> no. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Watch it on my own. I watched it once, June 6th, 2006, which is the day I graduated high school. 666? Uh-huh. It's uh, appropriate day to leave high school. Yeah. Uh, pretty much most of my graduating class went to the drive-in movie, which is surrounded by cornfields. 
Yeah, there's drive-in movies where I'm from. Well, yeah, same. That's not... I'm, oh, go on. I there's was only just... 14 left in America, so it's actually super rare. Really? Yeah. There was one where I grew up. Yeah, well, we're lucky. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people don't have them. So the reason I know about that 14 thing is um, Celebration Cinema, which has the Getty Theater in Muskegon, yeah. they put that out there. They were like, there's only 14 drive-ins left in America. That's insane. And three of them are in West Michigan. Wow. I know. We're so fortunate. Yeah. Okay, so... Uh, yeah, we saw it at the drive-in. At the drive-in, which is surrounded by cornfields. I'm just very gleeful about this whole thing. It scared the shit out of me. Like I was in the back of my cousin's pickup truck, cowering. I'm guessing corn has a lot of play in the movie. No, oh, it's all just the general spookiness of a cornfield. Yeah, okay. and just like the isolation of being gotcha. like far away from people. Mm. That is a very spooky theme, theme that I love. Yeah, I there. I think there are people who fall into two categories. They either really love the country or they really love the city. Mm-hmm. And I'm uh, both. <sighs> it I depends am, on the city. Okay, I am deeply... Okay, so when I say I love the city, mm-hmm. I do not mean Chicago. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> but, like, I would rather be around people. Mm-hmm. Now, my father-in-law hates the city because he would rather be in the country. Okay. He feels safer away from people. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's like, what what scares you? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is really the question. So when you say that you're both, which one are you really? Do you prefer isolation or do you prefer I... more chances where somebody could possibly hurt you? Uh, I would say that I'm probably more scared. Of... Well, okay. Because I have different fears related to... I, I have a very healthy fear of serial killers. Hmm. And those mostly seem to be in the city for me. Disagree. Lots of serial killers operate in the country. I would I would say that a lot of his serial killers historically have operated in the city. That's true. <laughs> like, so I lived in the country for two years, and you were always talking about, oh, so there's a serial killer out there. And I was like, no, they're going to have to work really hard to get to my house, is the thing. <laughs> they want convenience. Yeah, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, you could just pop over to your, well, you could walk to your neighbor's house and murder them. You wouldn't, but you could. Right. But if I walk to my neighbor's house and murder them, Mm -hmm. there are six people who will say, oh, yeah, I saw Kate walk over there. Uh And then there's also cops right at the top of my hill. Yeah. And an ambulance sits behind our house. Like, Yeah. Okay. So, So, yeah, that is what I like about the city is the connectedness and, like, convenience of it. Because what scares me about being out in the country is not the serial killer. It's running out of supplies. Yeah. It's not even that I've run out of supplies. It's that... There's no one to help you. Mm. Like, I lived in the country uh, most of my life. Mm-hmm. So, like, from the ages of 6 to 19, mm-hmm. I lived in a town with a population of less than 1,000. That's impressive. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. And <laughs> a lot of bad shit happens in that town. Mm. And nobody does anything about it because it's not reported. Sure. Or there's no one to report it. Yeah. Or... I don't know. There's a lot of shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I would much rather be in a city uh-huh. where there are resources and people to help you and somebody to observe and someone yeah. to scream. I would rather, like, and I think you agree that Grand Rapids is the perfect size city. Grand Rapids is the perfect city, full stop. Yeah. Except for it's cold. Yeah. 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 But other than that. Uh-huh. Okay. So. That has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> do you want to, we should go back to talking about haunted shit. Yeah. <laughs> But guys, let us know in the podcast group, are you pro-city or pro-country and yeah, why? Yeah, what, what scares you the most? 
All right, so uh, Davila's Cave. So this cave has a really long history, mm-hmm. and uh, caves are pretty commonplace in Greece because of the way the land is made. It's fucking mountainous. It's mountainous. It's right on the edge of the ocean, mm-hmm. erosion, you know. Yeah. So Pendeli Mountain is the mountain in question. A Wait. lot of marble was quarried there, specifically it's, all the marble for the Parthenon. It's not Carrara from, marble. That's Italian. That's Italian, yes. Okay. And also that word is Carrara. Carrara. Sorry. Just because it's an Italian word. And I... You ooh, remember that part? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's Italian. not the part of Italian I flung. <laughs> um, so the mountain has within it this Davelis cave. Oh. And it's actually named for a brigand. <laughs> So he actually, a band of robbers, and they were using that cave as a hideout. Uh Fun. There's a legend associated that within the tunnels of this cave, they would take you up to a mansion that sits at the top. Very bat cave. On the top of the mountain? On the top of the mountain. Okay. Hidden from view, though. Uh Now, of course, today, we have airplanes and helicopters, and we know that there is no house at the top of the mountain. Damn it. Now, inside the caves, this is where it gets cool. (laughs) Inside the cave is a rare double Byzantine church dedicated to two, count them, two saints. (sighs) Uh, Both of these are 12th century. Okay. One half is St. Spiridon and the other one, St. Nicholas. Ah. Theater Klaus. (laughs) Okay. I thought he lived in Spain. Uh, No, he was Turkish. Oh, that's right. He was Turkish. Yeah. And then he moved to Spain. Did he? Oh. According to the Dutch. <laughs> and if they don't know, who wouldn't, you know? Quick plug for uh, David Sidaris's short story, Six to Eight Black Men. Great. It's the most delightful Christmas tale about how racist the Dutch are. You would love it. I can't. I'm actually going to make time for that this yeah, year. Yeah, you really should. Um, so it was used in the 12th century by Christian hermits. Do you know what a hermitage is? Yeah. I fucking love hermits. Yeah. They freak the shit out of me. Yeah, so but for the benefit of everyone at home. Right. A hermit is somebody who isolates themselves so that they can hear the voice of God. And oh, then I was gonna say me, but then no. <laughs> Certainly not me. Yeah. I am the anti-hermit. <laughs> yeah. I just isolate myself. <laughs> right, right. Not to hear the voice of God. Though, no, right? No, no. So now, yeah. in addition to you know, this this more modern history is 12th century Christian. Uh, but if you go farther back in the caves, you will find things to the god Pan, who's a Roman satyr. Pan's I so know. much fun! Pan is a good time. Yeah. Real rapey, though. Oh, yeah. Satyrs are... Uh, yep. Yeah. Real fucking rapey. Same, yeah. with, uh, same with centaurs. Yeah. Just kind of universally rapey. They just had to fucking ruin everything. We were having so much fun. Uh, so so these, these gods... Uh, they were they were worshipped. Um, artifacts are are there depicting Pan and his nymphs. Now these caves are also just tunnels of energy, and people are insisting that they hear voices. They see strange sightings. Uh, when you go to these caves and you can, you are going to have electronics on your body, mm-hmm. like your cell phone, your digital watch. It's all going to freak out in there. Now, it might be because of the makeup of the caves, uh-huh. how dense the marble is, or something else is going on. It's it's one of those locations that multiple religions have chosen it as a sacred site yeah. because of this incredible energy. Yeah, that tracks. Right? And that kind of energy from worshiping people mm-hmm. is going to leave energy. Energy. I know I've used that word like eight no, times. No, it's fine. I will say, though, to be fair, uh, Christian... To be fair. 
Christians had a, a real bad habit of co-opting previous religious sites as a way to kind of uh, survive. Tran- no, transition the local population into believing in Christianity. Yeah, they were which like, is how they survived. Oh, it's a you survival uh, mechanism. Well, it's also a, a colonial mechanism. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so they would be like, "Oh, you worship at this tree? Well, here's a church." You can still worship at this tree. And it's almost like nothing changed. Yeah. Also, here's Jesus. And that's where half of our traditions came from. Yeah, looking forward to Easter. How about you? Yeah. Um, so your water, in addition to the things going haywire, you're going to see water that rolls uphill. Wow. Nobody can explain it. It's like a mystery spot. I know. I love a mystery spot. There's one in Michigan. Oh. And also, it's very common to see cat-like creatures. Walking on two legs. Okay, I don't like that. Okay, but I've read that in a couple places. Mm -hmm. What does a satyr look like? Oh, yeah. Right? But still, I don't know if that makes it better. Right, it's still unsettling. (laughs) Uh, As you go down on the left wall, you'll see etchings of past travelers, uh, several 19th century and early 20th century writers. So people who went there to kind of like pay pilgrimage. Mm -hmm. If you go to the cave, you do need to arrange your own transportation. It is not, there's no public means of getting there, so you kind of have to like figure that out. Mm. Uh, but if you go, please take lots of pictures and show us. Yeah. Because, <laughs> so yeah, it's a little bit mystery spot. It's a little bit historical. It's a little bit, a little bit spooky. A little bit spooky. So I wanted to, I wanted yeah. to at least put one spooky thing in and not just like, yeah. you know, here's a lecture I heard. <laughs> right. So Jen. Yes. That's all I had. Okay. Uh, the end. I hope that wasn't too confusing. It's a really good, like, Jerry Springer fucking lecture. Yeah. It, uh, yeah, it is. So uh, I guess I'm going to be the actual downer yeah, this good. time. Really? It wasn't me? Yeah. No, Look at I, me go. I think, I think you had, uh, I think we all had a lot of fun with yours. Thank you. Um, what a nice change. Yeah. Shame. Real shame. <laughs> Now you're going to shit on shame, that. Shame about what's going to happen. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to uh, take us across from from Greece to Italy. Ooh. The land shaped like a boot. We're going to fast forward a little bit in time to the common era. Nice. Or Anno Domini. Beautiful. Love Eight. your Latin. Yeah. And we're going to talk about Pliny the Younger. <gasps> We've referenced him before. Have we? I think so. I, I feel would. like when we were talking with Dr. Jeanette. He came up. Oh, you know what? I bet that's true because the first story I'm going to tell you is probably... Also from him. Uh, from him and probably what Dr. Jeanette Lerda was talking about. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to talk about it again. Yeah. Um, so Pliny the Younger uh, lived from 61 to about circa 113 CE, Common Era. There's BCE, before Common Era. And CE, Common Era. Or if you want to go the Judeo Christian BCAD. Yeah. 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 So we're at, we are past the birth of Christ our Lord. Christ your Lord. <laughs> but we are in uh, ancient Rome still. So Pliny the Younger, he was raised by his uncle Pliny the Elder. <laughs> Perfect. It's nice. It's nice. nice. Yeah, keep good the way naming to keep track of it. Uh, he was a lawyer, an author, a magistrate of ancient Rome. He served under the Emperor Trajan and was a friend of the historian Tacitus. Cool. Yeah. Uh, he wrote hundreds of letters, 247 of which survive today. So 
This is like this is a really good resource. These are like actual historic documents that really? we can reference yeah, and rely this is, on. This is the shit I love. This we are is... classing it up today. Yes. Um, so we may remember him from our discussion with Dr. Jeanette Laredo, where we talked about that ghost in chains and yes. how that started kind of that whole tradition. So he wrote a lot of letters. Probably the most famous couple of letters that he wrote describe one uh, eruption of Mount Vesuvius. That's a big deal. Yeah. If you ever, I mean, we know a lot about the eruption of Mount Vesuvius and the ancient city of Pompeii um, through archaeology, which is, I will get into, it, it's one of the most well-preserved uh, historical sites in the world. But we have a fairly first-hand account that is so dope. Of the actual eruption. That's amazing. Vesuvius. Also, can we just like talk for a second about how terrifying volcanoes are? Yeah. Like, we live in the year 2020, mm-hmm. and we don't really have a handle on when things are going to erupt or Yeah, not. well, because how can you? Because it's unpredictable by nature. That's... I don't know. We're really good at predicting everything else. <laughs> but it's like, I mean, you can kind of predict the weather, but it still is going to just happen. Right. So... Sometimes I like to really scare myself by thinking about the super volcano that's underneath uh, Yellowstone National Park. Mm, Do you know about that? Oh, yeah. that We're like a thousand years overdue for it to explode, and when it does, it should wipe out most of the West. Well, you know, we won't have to worry about anything anymore. Right, right. We won't. I mean, you know, then it will have happened. Like, I'm honestly a fan of the sudden... Quick death. I am not. (laughs) Just get me out of nowhere by surprise and... We'll be over. I'll remember that for when I murder you. Good. Thank you. Just come up behind me like Lenny style. (laughs) Just let me pet a a cute fuzzy rabbit. Sure. Oh. It's so dark. All right. All right. So speaking of dark, let's talk about people who burned to death. Yeah. um, So Mount Vesuvius, for those of you who don't know, it's a conical shaped stratovolcano, which means... fucking mean? It is shaped like a cone. So oh, imagine. So like a volcano, because all volcanoes look like that, don't they? They don't. No. They don't all look like that. But the... there's like shield volcanoes. But all of the science fairs. Exactly. Jen. It looks like every science fair project. <sighs> yeah. This one does. Not all. Right. Of them no, do. I know, but I feel like all of them should. And they don't. I don't know how to break this to you. This is crap. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just rest in the knowledge that this Fucking one does. Fucking lies my teacher told me. <laughs> I could be wrong. It's been probably 15 years or more since I've learned about volcanoes. Well, there you go. Um, So this one is shaped like a cone, um, and it's built up over time in layers of hardened lava. So that's the strato part. That makes sense. Yeah. So it has erupted a number of times, Um, not just this once. In fact, the last time it erupted was 1944. Oh, that was so recent. Yeah. It's actually... uh, about due to erupt again. Great. Yeah. Great. Great. Super great. Yeah. It's located on the on the west coast of Italy, uh, in the Campania, Campania region, just southeast of Naples. For some reason, I thought it was on an island. I don't know why. Um, because Santorini is in Greece. Greece. I don't know. Maybe. Okay. I just I just had this vision of like this island with Mount Vesuvius and Pompeii at the bottom, and that's why it's the only city that was destroyed. It's not the only city that was destroyed. No, so Fun many fact. cities were destroyed. There's a big-ass eruption. I learned a lot about this. 
yeah, at the fa- at the foot of Mount Vesuvius was the city of Pompeii that was like the largest city in the area. But there was also a number of smaller towns, including Hercule- Her- Herculaneum, Stabiae, uh, Stabiae, whatever. I'm so good at pronouncing things. <laughs> cool. Herculaneum, Stabiae. And Torre, and you know what? Just a bunch of other small cities. Okay. So at this time, that area is kind of like the bougie coast. Rich people. It's like everyone, all the rich people from Naples would have like vacation summer homes there. Yeah, I mean, it sounds beautiful. Um, And it went by the year 79 CE. Pompeii was home to about 12,000 people and up to... 20,000 people in the surrounding area. So it was like decently populated. According to the account of Pliny the Younger, this particular eruption of Mount Vesuvius is pinpointed to be in the month of August in the year 79 CE. Um, Historians have later uh, disputed that, saying it was in November. I I don't know why. But... He has, we have two surviving letters that describe the eruption of Mount Vesuvius, one from his uncle's perspective, Pliny the Elder, and one from his perspective. Pliny the Elder was there? Yes, he was there because Pliny the Younger was, well, Pliny the Younger was um, hanging out in a nearby town. He could see the eruption from a distance. It'd be very easy to see. Yeah. And he tells he has but his this, uncle survives. Spoiler alert: No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't understand these letters. <laughs> Neither do I, really. Okay. Um, so uh, he he actually wrote these letters, uh, according to one source, twenty five years after the eruption. Yeah. So there's another clue as to their kind of accuracy. So is it a letter or is it like a creative writing exercise? It's where... a it's it's a letter because someone asked him to write an account of how his uncle died. Okay. 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 But he puts it in his uncle's perspective. He writes it kind of from both perspectives. Like he doesn't put it in like first person I am my uncle, but like he writes about the experience of his uncle Without having been there next to him. Okay. I, will, I will just read it to you. Okay. How Thank about you. that? Yes. Sorry. <laughs> so, I'm getting hung up on things that probably don't matter. Yeah. So 25 years after the fact, um, his friend Tacitus asks him to write this account because he wants to know how Pliny the Elder died. And his these letters are pretty famous in that he has a huge attention to detail um, that... Even modern vulcan volcanol volcanologists, mm-hmm. I have a hard time with words. That's um, they describe uh, these types of eruptions as Plinian eruptions. Neat. Yeah. So he has like a whole kind of like so he like just described what was going on visually with the volcano well enough even after the fact that uh, volcanologists were like, yeah, that that is a thing that, that is that scientifically like... correct. Neat. So that's fun. Yeah. So we have these letters surviving. Um, they've been translated, obviously. Um, but I'm just going to go ahead and read them because I thought it would be fun. Uh, I thought it'd be fun to have like kind of a first hand account. So here we go. Here we go. Here we go. So he writes, my uncle was stationed at Mycenaeum, an active command of the fleet. 
Um, I guess he was a naval commander. Sure. Um, On the 24th of August, in the early afternoon, my mother drew his attention to a cloud of unusual size and appearance. He had been out in the sun, had taken a cold bath and lunched while lying down, and was then working at his books. He called for his shoes and climbed up to a place which would give him the best view of the phenomenon. It was not clear at that distance from which mountain the cloud was rising. It was afterwards known to be Vesuvius. Its general appearance can best be expressed as being like an umbrella pine, for it rose to a great height on a sort of trunk and then split off into branches. I imagine because it was thrust upwards by the first blast and then left unsupported as the pressure subsided, or else it was borne down by its weight, its own weight, so that it spread out and gradually dispersed. In places, it looked white. Elsewhere, it blotched and dirty, according to the amount of soil and ashes carried with it. Wow. That is quite a lot of detail. Yeah, it's quite, like, you know, evocative. You can really kind of imagine it. My uncle's scholarly acumen saw at once that it was important enough for a closer inspection, and he ordered a boat to be made ready, telling me I could come with him if I wished. He decides not to. Uh, because he said he had work to do. (laughs) Smart. Yeah. He continues, As he was leaving the house, he was handed a message from Rectina, wife of Tassus, Tascus, whose house was at the foot of the mountain, so that escape was impossible, except by boat. She was terrified by the danger threatening her and implored him to rescue her from her fate. See, here's where the perspective of the letter kind of changes to, I assume it's like, now he's there sure but like Pliny the younger has now like he wasn't with him so right just kind of go with it (laughs) he changed his plans and what he had begun in a spirit of inquiry he completed as a hero he gave orders for the warships to be launched and went on board himself with the intention of bringing help to many more people besides rectina for this lovely stretch of coast was thickly populated He hurried to the place which everyone else was hastily leaving, steering his course straight for the danger zone. (laughs) I I just enjoyed the idea of someone in ancient Rome writing the the phrase danger zone. (laughs) Highway to the danger zone. I mean, this is, of course, the translation, but you know, (laughs) the, the sentiment is there. Right. He was entirely fearless, describing each new movement and phase of the portent being to be noted down exactly as he observed them. Ashes were already falling, hotter and thicker, as the ships drew near, followed by bits of pumice and blackened stones, charred and cracked by the flames. Then suddenly they were in shallow water, and the shore was blocked by the debris from the mountain. So all these rocks, pumice stones, and ashes falling so thickly that it's... They can't get the boats through. The coast is all blocked because, yeah, it's all built up around them. Also, uh, I don't think it mentions this because how would he know? But this ash, like people think of ash as being... Like campfire ash. Relatively harmless. This was... Thousands of it was lava hot. It was it killed. So the ash itself. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, it was so thick that it was it was barreling down the mountain at about seventy miles per hour. Jesus. So you just see this wave of ash coming towards you, and you had no chance really. Um, It's amazing. There are there were a lot of people who did escape. And it's amazing that they did, Yeah, frankly. Well, it, it wouldn't just be carrying heat. There would be a lot of, like, 
Mm-hmm. There's toxic gas in mm-hmm. the earth, too. <sighs> yeah. Did you see uh, season three of The Crown? Not yet. Oh, okay. Because I... So, <laughs> when we watch TV at home, we watch it together, and there's Dan just, like, can't handle that show. Well, you should watch it. Well, right, but I'm never alone. Okay. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. 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 So, anyway, there. I only mentioned it because there's an episode where they depict a famous, like, coal mine... Like rock Collapse. slide, basically, yeah. in Wales. And the way they do it, oh, it's devastating. Terrifying. But I imagine it was something like that. Yikes. Um. Anyway, so where was I? Oh, stuff is falling from the mountain and blocking all the ports. Meanwhile, on Mount Vesuvius, broad sheets of fire and leaping flames blazed at several points, their bright glare emphasized by the darkness of the night. My uncle tried to allay the fears of his companions by repeatedly declaring that these were nothing but bonfires left by the peasants in their terror, or else empty houses on fire in the districts they had abandoned. Then he went to the rest, and uh, then he went to rest and certainly slept. For as he was a stout man, his breathing was rather loud and heavy, oh. <laughs> and could be heard by people coming and going outside his door. Me. Oh. Um. By this time, the courtyard giving access to his room was full of ashes mixed with pumice stone so that its level had risen, and he had stayed in the room. Had he stayed in the room any longer, he would have never got out. Yikes. He was wakened, came out, and joined Pompanius and the rest of the household who had sat up all night. They debated whether to stay indoors or take their chance in the open, for the buildings were now shaking with violent shocks and seemed to be swaying to and fro as they were, as if they were torn from their foundations. Outside, on the other hand, there was the danger of falling pumice stones, even though these were light and porous. However, after comparing the risks, they chose the latter. In my uncle's case, one reason outweighed the other, but for the others, it was a choice of fears." As a protection against the falling objects, they put pillows on their heads tied down with cloths. Yeah, smart. Mm-hmm. Elsewhere, there was daylight by this time, but they were still in darkness, blacker and denser than any ordinary light, which they relieved by lighting torches and various kinds of lamp. My uncle decided to go down to the shore and investigate on the spot the possibility of any escape by sea, but he found the waves still wild and dangerous. A sheet was spread on the ground for him to lie down, and he repeatedly asked for cold water to drink. Yeah, I don't know. This is, like, real weird. Did he have, like, a servant with him who could have reported all this? Unclear. Okay. I think they, well, you'll find out how I think they know where he ended up. Gotcha. Um, So I think he kind of, like... Pieced it together. Pieced it together from that, and also he may have, like, those people he was staying with, because apparently he did make it to shore and was like... I'm just going to stay here for a while. Right, yeah. He was, like, um, in their house, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think they there's a chance that they might have survived. And told everybody. And told, I don't okay. know. That it's, makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Then the flames and smell of sulfur, which gave warning of the approaching fire, drove the others to take flight and roused him to stand up. He stood leaning on two s- slaves and then suddenly collapsed. I imagine because the dense fumes choked his breathing by blocking his windpipe, which was constantly constitutionally weak and narrow and often inflamed when daylight returned on the 26th two days after the last day he had been seen his body was found intact and uninjured still fully clothed and looking more like sleep than death so that yeah that's his account of his uncle's death (laughs) obviously i think he took 
some liberties there. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe a few. <laughs> Man, alive. That must have been just fucking terrible. Mm-hmm. I hope to God that we never experience anything like that. Yeah, like I think he does a good job of kind of, well, yeah, of describing the conditions of what was happening. Like, yeah. you know, it was it was like nighttime there. Like they couldn't, it was suddenly this entire sun was blocked out and you couldn't see anything. And I think for some, death was very quick. And for others, maybe in different further areas, it was kind of more of a long, like choking out yeah. <laughs> of, of the air. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he, or the burning alive of lava. I yeah. mean, lava is coming. Yeah, right. Yeah, so there is, I think, a variety of ways that you could die from this. So I, I mentioned that he wrote two letters. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one. And then in another letter, he described the second day of the disaster from his perspective. Mm-hmm. So he's still like across the bay watching this happen. So he wrote in that letter that ashes were already falling, not as yet very thickly. I looked around, a dense black cloud was coming up behind us, spreading over the earth like a flood. You couldn't you could hear the shrieks of women, the wailing of infants, and the shouting of men. Some were calling their parents, others their children or their wives, trying to recognize them by their voices. People bewailed their own fate or that of their relatives, and there were some who prayed for death in their terror of dying. Many besought the aid of the gods, but still more imagined there were no gods left, and the universe was plunged into eternal darkness forevermore. A gleam of light returned, but we took this to be a warning of the approaching flames rather than daylight. However, the flames remained some distance off. Then darkness came on once more, and ashes began to fall again this time in heavy showers. We rose from time to time and shook them off. Otherwise, we should have been buried and crushed beneath their weight. I could boast that not a groan or cry of fear escaped me in these perils, but I admit that I derived some poor consolation in my mortal lot from the belief that the whole world was dying with me and I with it. Wow. Like, at least we're going to all go together. Yeah. Like, I guess there's something to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, from, yeah, from everyone's perspective there, the world was ending. Of course. Yeah. The It was dark during daytime and fire rained from above. Mm-hmm. What, else, what other conclusion could you draw? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it wiped out a pretty large swath. Uh, it was, it is, you know, an uh, archaeological site and has been for a very long time. Yeah. <laughs> And according to what I read, archaeologists have accounted for about 2,000 inhabitants of the various cities destroyed by Vesuvius. So, but that does mean that there were a lot of people that did make it to safety. Um, Refugees seem to come from all stations in life. I was reading in Atlas Obscura. Neat. Yeah, it was. They they mentioned in the article, they were like, you would think that it would just be a bunch of rich assholes who could afford to leave in their boats, and they just left their slaves behind. Sure, but Very no, that, yeah, that doesn't um, that doesn't seem to be the case here. It was kind of like um, people were helping each other in their households, or it was just kind of everyone for themselves. It was, but a lot of people did seem to make it out, and historians have been able to track a lot of the refugees that have ended up in different 
parts wow. of, a, of the area. Uh, they would track different family names where they could see records of like new people moving in uh, with the same name and or that's really cool. Yeah, God, uh, I love history. Yeah, and and they they've seen other records of of names that were more specific regionally to Pompeii that show up in different areas around that time. Uh, which is really, really cool. That is super awesome. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's one of the enduring like legacies of Pompeii is just this really fascinating look at, it's just like a snapshot of life at that time. Yeah. It really did capture in a grizzly sort <laughs> in a weird, of way. Weird, weird way. Um, yeah. Can I lighten the mood for just a second? Sure. So my favorite artifact of Pompeii yeah. is a cartoon that aired when I was a kid called Pompeii Pete. Mm-hmm. It was part of the Tex Avery show. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. It's kind of a lesser known Looney Tunes. Okay. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, this is what you had when you didn't have cable. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, so Pompeii Pete was, uh, you know, at Pompeii, many of the bodies are encased in stone. The, yes. The lava. Mm-hmm. So... Pompey Pete is one of those bodies. He was put into a museum. Gross. And uh, somebody bumped him, and he was preserved perfectly. Yeah. Underneath, so he was still a living person inside the ash. Oh, oh And he I came see. to life, and he had this really squeaky voice, and he didn't, like, speak English at all. He was just, like, okay. grunting. Okay. And he had to deal with, like, the modern world and how different it was from Pompeii it's back in the... Whimsical. Yeah. It was, it was really funny, actually. I remember hmm. not hating it. That's good. You know. Look it up, everybody. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, like you uh, alluded to, it's uh, it pretty much the ash blanketed everything and everyone, freezing them right where they fell. And archaeologists have uncovered multiple, uh, you know, caches of human remains where they're all and they're all like frozen in exactly like a position where. You know, they, some of them are laying down, like, huddling and, like, huddling loved ones together. Some of them are, like, trying to shield their faces. And One of them's grabbing his genitals. <laughs> there is there is a, a one body that appears as if perhaps being in the position of self-pleasure. If you're going to go, go on top. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like that's not an instinct I would have yeah. if I were facing my imminent demise. I feel like there would be other things where I would be worried about. But Wouldn't you want to hold your loved ones close? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess if that's the only person you have in life is... Yourself. Yourself. So more I think than anybody else. Anyway. Gross. Yeah. Uh... So, so it was like covered for a very long time, and like people knew about it immediately because I mean, right, it, it was, was a pretty old, big current event. Yeah. Um, and there were people who would kind of go like looting or whatever, see what they could find sure. in the immediate aftermath. But uh, pretty soon after that, it kind of uh, got lost to time for a while. Um, there's. Not really a lot of record of, I don't know if it was just like a big blackened pit that I was like, nobody go there. But, uh, or if I, I think probably just like life went on and grass grew and it just became yeah. this kind of like, you know, 
spot on the coast that nobody had really touched. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until 1738. That is so late. Yeah. It's much later than I thought. Mm-hmm. 1738. Um, Herculaneum was rediscovered when workmen were digging foundations for a summer palace for the king of Naples. Of course. Yes. <laughs> uh, who was a bourbon, I think. Oh, neat. Yeah. Uh, so related to the French, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, they were digging and they found this amazing discovery. Uh, and uh, I'll give credit where credit is due. The king was like, this is super cool. We need to uh, investigate this. Also, uh, he was a little motivated by the fact that he thought that that would bring more honor and glory to the kingdom of Naples, finding this good, well-preserved evidence of the power of ancient Rome or whatever. There are worse motivations to do something. Yes. Yeah. So power to him. Um, He ordered that they would instead start excavating the site instead of just bulldozing it, which she definitely could have done. A lot of people have. (laughs) Yeah. And so they started digging up the area. And in 1748, Pompeii was uh, rediscovered. Uh, They didn't know exactly what it was yet, um, but eventually they did find uh, an inscription on some stone that said, like, this is the city of Pompeii or whatever. Um, Some sort of road sign or... Yeah. the Romans were big on. Mm Mm-hmm. So, and it's been uh, an active archaeological dig pretty much ever since. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's like... awesome. I think it's like the oldest... Archaeological dig that like we think of as an archaeological dig. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. They've found a lot of things in the rubble. They've found um, buildings, mosaics, uh, sculpture. You can. It's just like a really. They've the mosaics that they've uncovered are incredible. Beautiful. So perfectly preserved. Can I tell you my favorite thing that they found? Uh, yeah. Graffiti. Exactly. I love the graffiti because mm-hmm. it tells me that humans are humans. Humans are humans. They have found graffiti. Uh, they said a lot of it was political. Yes. Uh, and so they would have uh, like professional scribes go around and, and paint like vote for this person, for this right. spe- seat. And they you could tell like a lot about their political system at the time who was running for office. Sometimes it would be an, an entire guild. Sometimes it would be a single wealthy person. And sure. some things never changed. <laughs> yep. It was really cool because, you know, they could tell so much about, like, how it was done. Like, it was done professionally. And then they'd come back and they'd, like, wipe it off. And they'd paint. And paint they'd something up- new. update it. Like, so all of the political stuff that they were finding was dated to 79 CE. It was, like... It was a perfect snapshot. snapshot. But on the other hand, you also have things like, you know, uh, Augustus fucks dogs. Exactly. Yes, yes. Uh, so I have laid with thine mother or whatever. Yes, yes. So if anyone tells you that uh, people used to be so... Uh, so much better. Polite and... Tell them uh, to suck your dick. Yeah, exactly. Which is what an ancient Roman would would say absolutely uh, so yeah there were there's been a lot of risque jokes a lot of your mama jokes yes um, because humans be humans humans be humans there were soldiers barracks there so you can only imagine what soldiers at that time would have been writing on the walls prostitute stuff uh yeah there's risque jokes um there were 
uh, gossip of like I slept with this prostitute and she's a great lay and like for sex a good worker. time call. Yes. All kinds of stuff, caricatures, little drawings of people. God, I love humans. Uh, I do. I'm sorry. Okay, so referencing back to the Amazon thing, mm-hmm. this is the sort of stuff that I want to share. Like this this shared human culture. Yeah. I really wish that everybody had access to it. Uh-huh. Okay. And also the Beatles. Mm. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, there was love messages, like love poems, which is Aww. really sweet. And yes... I was going to say. Dick all, drawings. Yep, there they are. There they are. Hello, boys. Hello, indeed. Uh, yeah, so Kate that... Reed was here. ...is amazing. And as I said, it's it, this is far from the only time Mount Vesuvius has erupted. Um, and there were earthquakes there. There was a, a devastating eruption in uh, 1780 BCE that, you know, shot lava and ash and rocks 22 miles into the sky, destroyed everything within a 15-mile radius. Yikes. That's before this one. Yikes. So it happens, and it's due to happen again. So, yeah, everyone be careful out there, I guess. <laughs> this planet is a terrifying place. It I is. It so it's much. terrifying, but it's also beautiful. It is. So, so, yeah, that's what I got. wrap this up? I do. It's getting cold as fuck out here. It is. Ah, all right, we've got a listener story today. Uh-huh. This is from my dear friend, Sarah. Uh, also, hi, Sarah, I love you. <laughs> Sorry, I missed your housewarming. It was really bad weather. Uh, uh, hello, Kate and Jen. See how your name was first, and then I put my name? You did. I see you switched it. Let me try that again. That's fine. Hello, Jen and Kate. Oh. As it should be. As it should be. <laughs> I love your show and the chills it brings me. I wanted to see if I could bring you chills as well from a story of my childhood. Fuck yes. Give us your best shot. Hit me with your best shot. That is the, is the line, yes. Yes. First, some background. Mm-hmm. When I was in sixth grade, my family moved to a brand new house in Allendale, Michigan, which is where we met, me and uh, Sarah. Mm-hmm. The suburb had just been built, and I stress this because my house should have been a blank slate. More on that in a minute. One of the reasons my parents bought the house was so that my sister and I could have separate bedrooms. Very crucial for sisters. Legit. Although, I never did. Really? Yeah. You and Laura always shared? Always shared until we moved out. That explains so much about you, too. Brought us close. (laughs) So, Sarah... We fought like cats and dogs, so I think it was as much for their sanity as ours. Mm. Respect. Me and Maggie the same. The house was a bi-level with two floors off a foyer. My sister and... A foyer. A foyer. (laughs) My sister and parents had rooms on the upstairs floor, and I got the room in the basement as the elder child. Now, I wasn't thrilled with this, as I had already had some basement trauma. Mm. My parents used to have an alien franchise pinball machine in our old basement. Dope. Right? Dope. And it scared the crap out of me. Uh. I know. Well, yeah, I can see that. (laughs) Yeah. But I was willing to put up with anything to get away from my sister. Now for the spooky shit. Yeah. It didn't take too long for me to notice odd things in the house. Specifically, I would be home alone and I would hear footsteps upstairs. Okay. Mm -hmm. Occasionally, a door would slam shut up there as well. (laughs) It was nothing more than that up there, though, so I eventually got used to it. The basement was another story. No, that's your home. That's your house. That's where you live, in the basement. There was an odd atmosphere to the basement. I absolutely did not like to be down there with the lights off. That's usually what you need to sleep, though, so that's sucks. Yeah, I would often sprint to turn them on. My room seemed to be okay, but it was also the furthest from the room that freaked me out the most. The laundry room. Oh, I mean, it, yeah. 
Yeah. That tracks. Well, laundry rooms are filled with drains and electricity. And, like, electricals and water don't always go together. Okay. Oh, this is a theory. I think we just fear machines. Because we're smart. Yeah. They're going to overthrow us. we got to overthrow them. Preemptively. Okay. The laundry room was an unfinished room with our washer, dryer, the furnace, and a ton of pipes. Mm. I could not stand to be in there. I got such bad energy from it that every night I would check to make sure its door was shut before I could go to sleep. Mm. Mm -hmm. I can appreciate that. Yeah. Then, one night, about a year or so into living there, I had an experience I can never forget. I woke up from a dead sleep and felt myself myself compelled to look towards my bedroom door. No. No. I don't like that. My room got hot, and my parents didn't like me to have a window open since it was at ground level. Mm, yeah? Was, yeah, I mean, yeah. that makes sense. Serial killers will get you more than ghosts will, and I'll say that. It was dark, and I couldn't see anything, but I felt like the most evil presence I could imagine was standing right outside my door. Okay. I felt an intense malice and a desire to come in and harm me, and I was terrified. I couldn't bring myself to move, and as I was a Christian at the time, all I could think to do was pray. At the same time, I somehow got the idea to project in my mind an encompassing wall of light to keep the evil at bay. Oh, a Patronus, if you will. Yeah, or white lighting. Oh. Similar. Similar. (laughs) I'm not sure which worked, but after what felt like an eternity, the presence left. I don't believe I slept that night, but if I did, it was definitely with the lights on. Hmm. The bad feeling in the basement didn't go away, and I still feel it to this day. Now, Sarah... Is just a couple years younger than me. Mm-hmm. So that's really intense. Mm-hmm. I'd never had another encounter like the one I'd had in the next eight years or so of living there. I don't know what it could be, but I figure it's either something from the land or something that got brought in through the pipes. I do not like that. Ooh, I don't no. like that concept. No, no, no. But it makes sense. That means that it could come from anywhere. And I have city water and I don't like that. Yes. Anyway, sorry this was so long. I hope it gave you a chill. It did, actually. I legit have goosebumps. <laughs> I don't like that pipes thing. <laughs> yeah. Keep being awesome and stay spooky, motherfuckers. Thank um, you, Sarah. I love you so much, dear. We have some patrons to thank. <gasps> we do. We do. Thank you to Mercedes Garcia. Thank you, Mercedes. Thank you. And thank you to Heather King. Oh, Heather. We were just talking. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Heather. Hey, Heather. So. Thank you, Mercedes. Thank you, Heather. Guys, we really appreciate you supporting us Yeah, we us really appreciate all of you. I uh, hope you all enjoy this very silly video that we're making for you. Super silly. We had a really fun time making it. Uh, so if you are interested, head on over to patreon.com slash this podcast is haunted. Check us out. And if you'd rather just uh, support us through good vibes and the free internet, uh, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. At various things that are listed in the description. And also join our Facebook discussion group. Yes. I don't list it because it's like obnoxious to list all of the things, but we are, this podcast is haunted discussion group. The coolest people on the internet. Super nice. Just like aggressively nice people. Aggressively. All right. We'll punch you with niceness. That's right. Yeah. Punch hugs. All right. My ass hurts. Let's wrap it up. (laughs) Yes, indeed. This has been super fun. Love you guys. And always, as always, stay spooky, motherfuckers. Yeah, yeah.